And now it's my pleasure to welcome Charlotte to Major League Soccer as our 30th team. And now your new owner, David Tepper. Charlotte. You ready to party? Please join me in welcoming Charlotte Football Club's first head coach, Miguel Angel Ramirez. Buenos dias. In the 2022 MLS Super Draft, presented by Adidas, Charlotte FC selects from the University of Maryland and Generation Adidas, Ben Bender. Welcome, bienvenido, benvenuto. Thanks for listening to the Charlotte FC podcast, where we share behind-the-scenes stories as well as following the squad on the pitch. I'm your host, Nick Finelli. To kick off this podcast campaign, we've devoted the first five episodes to looking back at how Charlotte FC came to be in the MLS, the people who make up the Charlotte FC organization, the academy, the facilities, and the community and supporters with the culture and traditions they'll make. Let's start at the beginning. How did Charlotte FC come about? The beginning. On December 17, 2019, MLS announced that Dave Tepper, billionaire and owner of the Carolina Panthers, would become owner of the 30th MLS franchise, following St. Louis and Sacramento, and then previously Nashville and Austin and MLS is a league rapidly growing in our diverse country. The franchise fee paid by Tepper's group, $325 million, 62.5% more than the $200 million paid in August of 2019 by St. Louis. The ability to buy into the league certainly helped Charlotte's bid over Las Vegas and Phoenix. Since then, the Sacramento Republic FC, which was an established team in the USL, which is a Division II league, uh, was set to actually become a part of MLS. But since then, it has fallen through, and so Sacramento will not be a team. And it appears that Las Vegas will, will be the new 30th expansion team. So going back to the Charlotte bid process and how that happened, I actually talked with Brett McCormick, who's from the Sports Business Journal, who was following this. All right, today we have Brett McCormick. He is from the Sports Business Journal. He's a reporter. He's actually a Charlotte native, and uh, he writes several articles about, uh, basically, he covers facilities, fan experience, and ticketing for the Sports Business Journal, um, which is a sports industry trade uh, journal. Um, so, Brett, uh, kind of have you here today because I want to talk about Charlotte FC and and the, basically how they got a team. So you kind of, uh, you wrote an article, but you've also kind of been following covering stuff. Uh, can you kind of explain the bidding process that like a city might have to go to, or basically an owner to get an MLS team? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me too. Um, and it's, it's uh, pertinent to do this on the eve of the team playing its first real game. Right. Um, so uh, actually, and if people are interested in kind of, paying attention to this sort of process again it's going on right now with las vegas so um las vegas is kind of a good similar example to charlotte actually charlotte sort of edged out las vegas they were one of the teams that was kind of in the running four or five years ago um yeah the, no doubt that helps <laughs> um we will get to that um and uh it so in the early days i would say mls kind of would open it up and and see who 
what cities we're interested in, you know, joining the league. And, and I think now it's a little more, not a little, it's probably a lot more selective because they've covered a lot of um, geographic markets like that they probably felt like they had to be in. Um, so now it's more, I think, and this is my opinion, this isn't like official doctrine, but uh, I think now it's more about um, who's coming to them with a bid that's, you know, a bit sewed up, you know, kind of kind of buttoned up. Um, and so in the uh, Charlotte FC, like Tepper Sports and Entertainment case, um, absolutely the, the wealth of the owner was a big deal. Um, you're seeing that again with uh, Las Vegas. Um, you've got people involved that are extremely wealthy and very connected and have um, sports ownership and, and especially soccer ownership um, mm-hmm. experience. Um, and then also, um, you know, coming to the table with, uh, kind of like commitments almost or, or, um, pledges, you know, we will, we know we can sell this many season tickets. We have this many, um, corporate, corporate, uh, sponsors that are committed. You know, we've, uh, got commitments for suites. We've got commitment from the city to build a stadium or, you know, we're going to build a stadium or we have a stadium. Um, right. you know, so it's, it's more like that now it's, it's less like, um, you know, who wants it and more of kind of like, uh, I would say a lot more of it happens behind the scenes than people realize, like, and that would be the case with any expansion, but it's, I think less now when they say that they want to expand, I think these days they have somebody in mind already. Right. Well, they're already large enough. It's like, where can we be strategic right. to help us grow as a league or whatever, you know, they're, they're trying to do, or where, where are we missing in markets or where could we, you know, I know uh, we'll get into more, but I know that the Academy is also a big deal in, in spreading regionally where you have your, your youth and your kind of growing of stuff. Yeah. That's always been a big deal for them. All right. So, so how did like Tepper get into this and how did, and how did the city get involved? Because there's been bids in the past, and, uh, but how did they, how did they get engaged here? Yeah, so they um, started reaching out around, I want to say it was like 2018 or so. I mean, it's a might have been 2019. It's a, it's a while back now, it feels like. Um, but it basically started with kind of uh, back channels, you know, with the league. And, and I think um, Tepper was was interested in this. And, and this is where you were already seeing them go from being the Panthers to Tepper Sports and Entertainment. You know, he's trying to become sort of a uh, holistic entertainment entity. Um, I'm sure, you know, in the future, there, there may be more additions to that. You know, this is kind of, this is the kind of thing that you see, like somebody launched like an esports team under and stuff. So that it's, you know, becoming more than a, an NFL team. And the uh, soccer team was the kind of, I think, a second step that they viewed in that. And so they started, you know, really working on, um, I think, having kind of uh, laying the seeds for the corporate sport, you know, and, and for Charlotte, that was always going to be an immense um, advantage. Uh, if people read this story that I wrote, um, you know, a few years ago, I mean, cities like St. Louis had a much harder time with that, um, you know, getting that corporate support uh, because, you know, just didn't have the corporate community. And so um, you could see they were more, St. Louis has been more out front and more vocal and more public about its bid, um, had been. Um, Charlotte didn't really do that because, uh, Tepper Sports Entertainment didn't really do that because they didn't feel like they needed to drum up public support. And that's because they felt like they already had it. And that stems from, you know, hosting um, Mexico national team uh, games here. And, you know, that that's an interesting situation because 
the um, uh, marketing and promotion of the Mexican national team in the U.S. is handled by uh, Soccer United Marketing, which is owned by MLS. So anytime Mexico would play in Charlotte, MLS people would be there. Uh, they would see it. You know, they would kind of soak up the vibe and and maybe kind of um, want it like unspoken, but maybe everybody knew kind of taking notes, you know, sort of like, okay, what, how's the crowd look? Like, what's the vibe? How's the, how's the venue work? Um, and we so that was Premier league, uh, games friendlies also here. So I'm, that also yeah. drew up a lot of attention too. Yeah. International champions cup. I actually went when they, uh, Dortmund played Arsenal. Um, so yeah, you had kind of like these auditions in a way. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so they, they were, they started just working on this behind the scenes, um, con- you know, communicating with the league, trying to find out when, when they were interested in, um, expanding, if they were interested in expanding and, and then sort of also at the same time, um, laying the groundwork with the city to sort of see like what was available, um, what they could do, you know, Issa mall was, was pretty, uh, instantly like something that both parties were interested in trying to develop for a headquarters. It doesn't look like that's actually going to work out now, but um, that was initially part of the, part of the uh, idea. So all this like um, just kind of got going in the background and, and uh, you know, it wasn't anything uh, formal for a while. um, But then I think when it sort of did start to get formal, that's when they started really working on uh, corporate commitments and suite commitments. And, you know, they were, they were able to like get commitments for all the suites like pretty quickly um, and, you know, we have such a strong like banking community and corporate community in, in Charlotte that, I mean, I, I honestly think that part was like fairly easy for them. I, I'd be interested to see how that compared to other cities in the past. I bet Atlanta like did really well and had an easy time with it too. But, you know, there's, there's uh, Nashville Atlanta as well, but, um, you know, Charlotte, I think would have, would have been able to do that uh, a lot easier. Sacramento's than probably fell through because of that. Yeah, I mean that's probably part part of the reason. Uh, but you can think of some of the other markets that aren't quite as big. I mean, you know, Columbus and other places like that. That it it would have been probably harder. So, so that's sort of how it got going. And then uh, from there, you know, things got like more formal. But it initially was all this behind the scenes work, and and a lot of this was led. And I think this is kind of telling by um, Steve Argeris, who was the uh, Tepper Sports and Entertainment General Counsel. So you know, you have a lawyer leading this because he's going to know how to sort of sit in the middle of finance, uh, you know, um, government, league, governance, you know, things like that. So he was and, and a, carefully a good person. craft a, a pathway rather than and, and never people. speak and never speak publicly about it, which, uh, right. you know, boy, that's a lawyer thing too. So, yeah. So, and so he, along with like, there was other members of this group and they, they called it the, the OFP or the other football project. Right. And so they would meet and kind of put their ducks in a row so that they could make this kind of formal bid. And so why yeah. is, why do you think Tepper, I mean, in your experience and what, you know, why, why is Tepper so interested in soccer or is it just more interested in the entertainment aspect? Yeah, I think, I think it's just a sort of couple of reasons, a to build out sort of this empire kind of, you know, I think that this is like something that team owners are doing now and, and teams are really are more, than just teams you know they're they are entertainment companies in some cases they're like media properties as well so mm-hmm. um partly that and then you know i mean a soccer team puts um 30 17 to 25 more events in a venue right each year um yeah. so you're getting more use out of that and you know that's part of the reason why they switched the bank of america stadium 
surface to turf, you know, so they could have concerts more easily. I mean, they're trying to make more money off the venue. I mean, that, that's a trend industry-wide, uh, right. you know, it, and it makes sense because these uh, NFL stadiums were just, were used, what, eight times a year, maybe 10 right. times a year. And, right. and in some cases you had some concerts, but in Charlotte, you really rarely did. Um, so part of it is getting more out of what you already have, but also, you know, it's a, it's a very fast growing sport. I mean, I, I would say it's, the sport in the U S that's probably growing the fastest has maybe the biggest upside of the, of the stick and ball sports. Um, Especially, I mean, expanded like five or six teams in the last, you know, yeah. Six yeah. Years. You know, and it's, um, it's also a different, um, it's also different demographics from right. not, not entirely, but it is some different, different uh, demographics from say your Panthers fans. I mean, for sure. I think um, Charlotte FC crowds are going to be more Hispanic than Panthers um, crowds would be. Right. Uh, they also might um, skew younger, although the ticket prices, um, the high ticket prices may, may uh, avert that. Cut but, some people out. Yeah. Yeah. It may cut some people out, but um, that, you know, and that, that might change as the season goes on. But um, yeah, I think the, the whole, the, the idea is kind of a holistic entertainment thing, you know, to, to irons in the, in the fire. And uh, you know, the, the OFP thing was interesting because they kept it hush hush. And I kind of mentioned this with the St. Louis thing, but they, I always like the quote that uh, Ardris told me um, about why they weren't out in front um, out in the media more about their bid. And it's because they felt their audience was MLS and the MLS owners, you know, and they, those were the people they had to impress and not, not try to get into a public kind of campaign. You know, they didn't feel like they, needed to drum up support. They felt like they had it and, and just needed to kind of focus on what they were doing and also not have sort of their strategy out in the open, um, right. you know, and, and it doesn't mean that you can't be public. Obviously St. Louis has been worked. Um, and, and, I, and I think there'll be a really strong team, especially the uh, venue they're building is really cool. And it's also a, a really important soccer city in the U S but um, I think for Charlotte, it was uh, an interesting way to go. And obviously it was like, quite successful right and I don't think they also you know a lot of times when they try to get support from the you know the fan base or basically the city or the area it's because they also need that money they need you know yeah. some sort of and they didn't need that so no they didn't have they, to they didn't have to build anything yeah so right. they kind of yeah kind of were ready to go um yeah. and that that was interesting too I mean that was um you know I think some people perceived uh, the stadium as a weakness they pitched it as a strength which, you know, I deal with PR people a lot, so I understand how they operate, but I can see both sides of, of uh, the stadium argument because for starters, it is located in a really great spot um, right. and it is located right next to the fastest growing part of Charlotte um, as far as uh, young people. And right. um, so it's, it's, it's in a good spot and it's like kind of like your basic starter kit stadium. So they can, you know, they've <laughs> done some stuff to it. It doesn't have like a, you know, it's, it's, it's open to, uh, to, uh, enhancement. So, um, you could say it like this, it ticked probably like four out of six boxes that MLS would have or three out of five or whatever. So it, it, it was not a, I would say it was not a major hindrance to their bid. Right. They do, did have to do some retrofitting to the facilities, right? Because mm -hmm. MLS yeah. requires like a center entrance mm -hmm. and some other specific they need locker rooms. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And, um, so that was something that they would just have to pay out of their uh, their own, right? Because 
when they got this group together, the OFP, they met behind the scenes and then they made the official pitch, right? And so I guess that was in July or something of, of 2019. And then it wasn't a short time after that, that that it happened in December, right? Yeah, so um, April, MLS decided to add the 30th team. Uh, a couple months later, um, there was a lot of stuff that happened around the All-Star game, mm-hmm. uh, which was like the end of July in Orlando. So they met. Um, that's when they started doing like pretty formal kind of presentations, you know, right. uh, meeting with the owners. Um, and really that's who, you know, it, it's not necessarily like Garber that makes the decision. It's the owners, you know, really are, are an enormous part. And so that's where as an NFL owner, even though Tepper was new to the NFL, you know, he still had a bit of an advantage because he's seen these people like the whole year, you know, right. so it, it, cause there are a lot of NFL owners involved with, uh, Right. MLS now. Um, and then August, I think it was about two weeks after they had their big meeting in Orlando. It was about two weeks later. Uh, MLS commissioner Don Garber came to Charlotte. You know, they rolled out the red carpet for him and, and uh, you know, tried to impress him there. And then it kind of went quiet for a little while. And um, St. Louis got a team that fall. Sacramento got announced as a team, which we now know that's fallen through. Um, and it was around, I think like December, uh, early December that the, uh, like board of governors of the, uh, of the league, you know, approved the Charlotte bid and, uh, gave them the green light to sort of seal the deal, you know, determine the, the fee and everything. Um, and, and so that's how it happened. So yeah, once they, after the end of July, like early August, August, September, October, yeah, it was about, I mean, it was at less than half a year, They, you know, that it really, like, happened right. um, pretty quickly after that, so. That's pretty cool. And then as far as, do you, do you know as far as the fee? Because St. Louis, just a short time right before, only paid $200 million for the expansion. And then here we have 325 Was this, do you know if MLS asked for this or if Tepper just threw this in and said, we really want this, this will help push you? Yeah, he for sure didn't offer it. <laughs> um, uh, and part of it, I was told, um, and, you know, th- th- there's probably another side to this story, but a Charlotte city council member leaked the 325 million fee to, to the media. Mm. And I was told that Tepper had expected that would encompass everything, like all the spending on the project. Mm-hmm. So including like, uh, you know, um, renovations at the stadium right, and right. and like signing players and like all of it so you can imagine like he was probably expecting that 200 million fee to rise a little bit but like yeah. not a lot um and so that sort of pushed the fee itself to 325 when it got reported that way um oh. you know mls didn't backtrack on that or you know make right. any concessions yeah and so they ended up paying at least 325. Um, and, you right. know, I don't know what the total spend will be by the end of it, but um, this renovation they just did, I think was like around 50 or 60. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll, uh, it was more than they anticipated and the jump was pretty great for the league, but I, I, I think him agreeing to pay that, you know, <laughs> right. definitely greased the wheels. They were, they were, I'm sure appreciative of that fact, you know, because that, that money gets spread around the league. So. Um, yeah, and that probably yeah. raised the bar for Las Vegas now too. Absolutely, I'd be uh, very interested to see what they end up paying. Um, right. I also uh, be interested to see um, 
how they deal with the city council and make sure a uh, <laughs> inaccurate fee number doesn't get leaked to the media. <laughs> right. We'll be right back. So back when they were negotiating with the city, like what did what did they have to work out with the city? And then what did they kind of offer or say, like, this is what we're going to be able to do? Because, you know, owners can can kind of do their own thing, especially if like they own the stadium, they own the, um, you know, they own all this land. If they if they have all this ownership of all these things, you know, what is the city really involved with? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And and that, you know, a key point in that is that it's changed because the pandemic happened and you know the appetite to kick in money is appetite and ability to kick in money is less so initially the city was going to provide like 110 million uh, to the project and that was going to help build a uh, training facility at east the eastland mall site um and honestly i mean i haven't kept up with what's happened post pandemic you know since the pandemic started so i really don't even know where that where right. where that sits right now um but the thinking was like the practice facility would anchor tepper sports and entertainment to charlotte because this had just come on the heels of them deciding to build the panthers practice facility in rock hill which i know right. would make uh you know charlotte business leaders and government leaders like a bit nervous right. um well, they may end up down there anyway, the, the soccer facilities. So I, you know, I, I'd have to get an update on that, but um, you know, it's, it's not what was promised, but you know, the Tepper sports entertainment is not plowing forward with that plan. I don't think so. You know, I think, I, I don't think it's like somebody's having to pick up a bill. I think the, uh, I think the plans have just shifted. Yeah. And uh, there was also talks about creating almost, and I think this is kind of more from Tepper's mouth and anybody else kind of creating this entertainment district similar to like Nashville's Broadway where you could go from the stadium and just kind of walk down and you just have all this entertainment restaurants all sorts of stuff kind of in that same area where the practice facility um, for the Panthers uh, was yeah the bubble that that, do you know if that's still or if that was part of it or no I think that was separate so that's um that's that gets down to the what do they do with the stadium question. Um, right. and that'll be an interesting one because I don't think, as a Charlotte native, I don't think the appetite for major public funding of a new stadium for, you know, one of the richest sports owners in the United States is there. Right. Um, I think they would kick in some money, but um, I think if they're going to get a brand new stadium, that he's going to have to pay for most, if not all of it. I could be wrong, but. Um, that said, um, that stadium, like I mentioned, is is like a pretty great. It's like your first Lego set. I mean, it's got like all the basic blocks. Mm-hmm. I could see where they did some sort of these days a new NFL stadium, which is what they would be building. I mean, it would be soccer would be kind of in there, but it's an NFL stadium. <laughs> it's running, you know, two to five billion dollars. Five was SoFi Stadium, which that's. I would say definitely on the high end, um, but two or $3 billion. So instead of doing that, you could do 500 or $600 million renovation to bank of America stadium, basically like gut it um, and make a kind of like a new building from the structure. Um, it would probably have some sort of roof. I want to, as the facilities reporter for SBJ, I want to uh, not use the term dome because nobody 
is ever building domes ever again. Right, um, right. Domes are domes are done. It could have a roof though. Um, it also could have uh, something that's called like ETFE, which is like a Teflon roof, which you see in Europe a lot that covers the fans from mm-hmm. rain, but like leaves the field open. Right. You could have something like that, which would be pretty cool. SoFi Stadium and the stadium that the Vikings play in have those those types of roofs. Actually, I think um, Allegiant in Las Vegas as well. I think I could see something like that. And this entertainment district around it is something that Tepper would pay for because he's going to um, get the revenue from it. So this is a trend and the sports industry right now is uh, owners are more willing to build stadiums and pay for them themselves because they get all the money from it. Right. Um, and so it's a big, it's a big upfront chunk, but a lot of them have avail are have access to capital. They can get loans. They can, you know, they can, they can get money. Um, they have money to begin with. Um, and so the entertainment district uh, concept around it is um, that's going to be Tepper's thing. He's going to make money off of it. And again, this speaks to the stadium was in a great location. Like they don't need right. to, this is another reason they don't necessarily need to build a brand new stadium because where would you put it that would be better located? I mean, that's, right. that would be very hard to find. And also that land would be extremely expensive and they already have the building down there. So that's, that was uh, that entertainment district concept is like separate from the soccer team, but also tells me that they are more, that they're definitely staying in that neighborhood. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know exactly what they would do with that stadium, but they're, they're, they're not going to build all that out and then build some monster stadium down by Carowinds or, you know, near South Carolina. So, right. Right. Definitely. And I mean, you see uh, in Atlanta, like battery park, you know, that's kind mm-hmm. of like that self-created kind of entertainment district stadium altogether. That's yeah. one of the blueprints. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. but it's so far away, but it was actually closer <clears throat> to where their fan base was coming from. So that was kind of right. one of the reasons, but this is, like you said, this is already an uptown. And so, it seems like a natural fit without a lot of like, Oh, I got to separate it from the city. No, absolutely. I think. And so that's the kind of thing where you can get some city help is they're going to, you know, they'll kick in, like we'll do the repaving and the plumbing and things like that, you know, but um, I, I just would be really surprised if Charlotte would, would uh, kick in any considerable sum to a new stadium. I just don't think that's going to happen, but you never know. Who knows? Right. And then I guess once, you know, going back to like the bid, like once the bid was announced, then that's, that's kind of, they just, they just go forward and they work kind of with the MLS on different parts because I mean, we didn't even have a, a team name until July of the following year. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, this situation is probably not a good comparison to most others because of the pandemic. I mean, it happened like, Right you in know, the middle. I mean, we were supposed to play what, two, two, two months later. Yeah, yeah, it started basically. Like, it was already going on when when we uh, in Charlotte got the team. So um, I, I, I don't think this is a, a, a normal has been a normal process from the announcement of the team to the team starting to play like it, it, it obviously one of the one of the advantages that Charlotte had they that they pitched was like we are more ready to start. We can start sooner than others. Right. And then that, that ended up not even, you know, being right. a factor because they got bumped back a year. So, and I know that's been hard for them. And then, and a lot of fans were like kind of disappointed, but to be fair, you know, I mean, it was kind of right. a weird, <laughs> very difficult situation. And also, you know, staffs across sports um, got cut and that was not publicized. Well, you know, I mean, what team wants to put out a press release saying, hey, we have gotten rid of, we furloughed 80% of our staff, you know, so right. they very likely didn't have the people to, 
to move this along quick enough, you know, and, and I'm not defending them, but I mean, in a way I am because it's, you know, it, it was a, it was a really unusual situation and, and difficult to deal with. And, you know, I think it was too bad for Charlotte fans that this kind of happened with them, but, you know, I think, uh, I think the team's about to start playing and, you know, right. you can move on past that, but, but that, that, that definitely was not a normal, normal situation. Imagine like, um, there's others that I think had a longer delay with St. Louis, not St. Louis yeah. would be even longer. Yeah. They don't yeah. even play this year. They're, right. they're actually interesting because their stadium will be open and then they right. won't have games for like six months. I guess their Academy team will be playing in the big stadium or something. I don't know. Right. And then, and then Nashville got their team without the stadium being built yet. And right. they started. Um, yeah, I know. I think one of the reasons the Charlotte, you know, because of the pandemic, that's, I was talking to Sean McIntosh, the chief fan. Yeah. He was saying like, you know, that whole job was created just because that whole longing of like, wow, it's taken so long for us in our, yeah. we kind of lost steam as a, the, as bu- a the buzz, the, the buzz kind of evaporated. Yeah. I mean, you literally didn't really even hear much about them and which is too bad because I think they would have, I think they would have done a good job because again, anytime you've got an NFL operation behind these soccer teams, there's going to be a high level of professionalism. They're going to be very good at drumming up interest. They're going to be very good at social media. You know, the Panthers have like one of the best social media teams in the, in the NFL. Um, And I would expect, I would expect uh, Charlotte FC will be very good at that as well. So, um, you know, so like they didn't have uh, radio people, TV people, you know, they didn't have uh, like club reporters or whatever, you know, like, uh, so and then Sean McIntosh you know that kind of person didn't exist so in a way I think it may be it may in the long run prove to be a benefit because I think Sean's role is really interesting and one that um, we actually wrote about a big story I don't know if you saw it but we wrote a big story yeah. um, about him in uh, this week's magazine and and uh, I think that's a position that in the long run will benefit fans in Charlotte you know because it's it's not common in sports to have somebody who is kind of like that direct conduit you know generally right now all you can do is is uh complain on twitter you know and and, right right and in sean you know there's actually somebody that you can sort of get at who is actually like paying close attention to what people are saying you know right right. so i think takes it back and says these are these are things i'm hearing these are things that they're yeah so so i mean i think in the long run that that pause may prove to be beneficial in that sean exists right right (laughs) exactly all right well Thanks, uh, thanks, Brett, for coming and kind of sharing that whole process about Charlotte FC getting the team. And uh, Brett is with the uh, Sports Business Journal. He, you can follow him on Twitter at Brett Just One T, and at SBJSBD is the Sports Business Journal's Twitter account. Thanks a lot, Brett, for for being here today. Appreciate your time, and hopefully, we can talk some more stuff. Uh, really interested about uh, facilities and ticketing, so I might have to tag you again about that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Just a note, Tepper also brought in Tom Glick, who was the former uh, chief operating officer of Manchester City and also the president of NYCFC, who was also a, a, a recent expansion team, to be president of the Panthers and really help out with the, not only the bidding side, but the operations uh, to get this thing started. Uh, the Tepper Sports and Entertainment Group's uh, financial bid, of course, was was strengthened by the city's commitment and Mayor Lyles and the city council um, and their initial pledge of uh, $110 million um, to help with stadium changes. And really, um, Tepper's dream or idea is to have the entertainment district right there near the stadium 
uh, similar to Broadway in, in Nashville, Tennessee, as mentioned in the, the interview with Brett. Tepper would, would then, of course, locate Charlotte um, ML Franchise headquarters and the Academy and a complex in the Charlotte area rather than, you know, in, in other areas and not in the actual city. But more to come on that. So the MLS actually cites that the deep-rooted community support in soccer in this area is one of the most competitive and thriving youth leagues in the Carolinas, along with the excellence in college soccer and the success of the NC Courage, which is the National Women's Soccer League champions um, from 2017 to 2020. And, of course, the fantastic turnouts that they've had for friendlies at Bank of America Stadium, all caught MLS's eye. Charlotte is the 14th largest city in the United States and the 24th largest metro area. So this was definitely um, something always on MLS's mind and being strategic on where to go next. So by sheer population, Charlotte is a very desirable city to have events. Charlotte had been on the shortlist of expansion teams for the MLS since its inception in 1994. However, they were passed over as a franchise in 94, 96, 98, 2004, and then most recently in 2017. Many believed Charlotte would get a team shortly after the city hosted the 2004 MLS Superdraft. But just like previous years, other bids were more attractive for the MLS. The strongest bid prior to this was in 2017 as the Charlotte Independents another USL team, the group led by Marcus Smith, who's owner of the Charlotte Motor Speedway, seemed to be uh, one of those that was making some ground here. So it had some momentum with plans for like a soccer-specific stadium and some infrastructure already set up with success from having a team with the independents. However, public support seemed to wane and the city support uh, seemed to go away. Major League Soccer itself was started with buy-in from billionaires. Major League Soccer seems to prefer owners with deep pockets and ownership in other sports franchises, such as Arthur Blank, who owns Home Depot and, of course, the Atlanta United and the Falcons, or one of their originals, uh, Philip Anschutz, who was, uh, who's at one time was actually uh, had its, its hands, or actually his entertainment group, uh, had ownership in seven different MLS uh, franchises. Also, Lamar and Clark Hunt, owner of the Kansas City Chiefs and former owner of the Sporting um, KC and now actually ownership in FC Dallas. Uh, Robert Kraft of the Patriots and New England Revolution. Uh, Ziggy Wilf from the Vikings, who also owns Orlando City SC. And Major, excuse me, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, uh, who owns Toronto FC, as well as the Raptors, the Maple Leafs in the NHL, the Argonauts in the CFL, as well as the Scotiabank uh, Arena. So what exactly is Charlotte FC joining in the MLS? Well, let's go back to when MLS actually began. So in 1996, just after the U.S. hosted the 1994 Men's FIFA World Cup, starting a Division I tier league was a requirement to actually hosting the 1994 World Cup. 
So the league was started as a single entity uh, with premier owners and investors who basically bought into this approach. This meant that rather than making contracts with individual teams, players made their contracts with the league. And then the league then assigned the players to various teams. Instead of having multiple teams bidding against each other, the negotiation was solely between the player and the MLS, which also led to lower salaries and a greater chance of MLS surviving financially. The inaugural season of MLS had 10 teams in two conferences. Each team was allocated two spots for U.S. men's national team players and two spots for international players. The rest of the roster would be made up through drafts and tryouts. Back in 1996, the league took on a tone of other sports leagues in the States with their names, logos, uniforms, kits, and stadiums. These were the original 10 teams, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, Los Angeles Galaxy, DC United, Dallas Burn, Kansas City Wiz, San Jose Clash, New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, Columbus Crew, New England Revolution, and the Colorado Rapids. None of the 10 teams from 1996 played in soccer-specific stadiums, which means about 18,000 to about 30,000 seating capacity. Um, fans are actually closer to the pitch, uh, but they didn't have any then. Now there are 21 soccer-specific stadiums out of the 28 teams. And the seven that do not is NYCFC, which plays in Yankee Stadium. The Seattle Sounders, uh, where also the Seahawks play, is a Lumex Field. And Atlanta United FC plays in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Chicago Fire plays in Soldier Field. And Vancouver Whitecaps FC plays in BC Place. And the New England Revolution play in uh, Gillette Stadium. It's also where the Patriots. And then Charlotte FC would be the, the seventh team that plays in a, a specific stadium that was uh, geared for uh, American football. Back in 1996, the average MLS soccer match attendance was 17,406. Today, it is over 24,500. The league also toyed with Americanizing some of the soccer rules because they just felt like maybe the the American audience wouldn't understand or wouldn't enjoy some of the, the rules that the rest of the world plays by. But uh, after looking at several crazy ideas, they still ultimately decided to settle on a few. One was just requiring the actual pitch or the field to be a minimum of 50 yards by 100 yards. So think an American football field without end zones, which is entirely very tiny. Today's actually the playing field minimum is 70 yards wide by 110 yards long. They also initially had a countdown clock as opposed to a, a clock that counts up to 45. So each half, the clock ran down from 45 minutes while being paused during dead ball situations. As soon as the clock reached zero, play was immediately stopped. Of course, we know it to be other, otherwise today, counting up to 45 and up to 90 with, with extra time. Um, some other things that they thought were uh, m maybe the American audience would not understand or like is the idea of ties or draws, as we call them. Um, they were not even possible in 1996. So if a teams were even at the end of regulation, players were placed, one at a time, of course, kind of like in a shootout, 
uh, 35 yards from the goal, and they had five seconds to put the ball past the opposing goalkeeper in a best of kind of five series. So the shootout win resulted in one point as opposed to a three-point win for regulation. Now draws at the end of regulation are each awarded one point. So, of course, now the clock counts up from 0 to 45 in the first half and 45 to 90 in the second half. There's no pauses or stops. Stoppage time is added at the end of each half by the referee at their discretion. So that's not it. So another thing just want to point out is the, the salaries. No player in MLS in 1996 was allowed to make more than 192500 Today, there's actually 81 players who are securing more than a million dollars in guaranteed compensation um, for the year. The average guaranteed compensation for an MLS player in 2022 is around 420000 whereas the median is around 200000 And if you're considered a reserve, uh, your minimum salary is, is 64000 So these would be those who don't even have uh, senior roster spots. And we'll talk more about uh, when we have an episode on the academy, talking more about these roster spots and how they're allocated and how the whole uh, system works with players and, and attaining them. Major League Soccer champions are actually crowned with the Philip Anschutz Trophy, which is named after the co-founder of the league. And the name of the playoff series that, that happens each year is called the MLS Cup. There are two conferences in MLS, a Western and an Eastern, each with 14 teams. However, when Charlotte joined, it was going to make the Eastern a little bit heavier than the Western. So Charlotte actually will be joining the Eastern Conference, and Nashville, who recently was in an expansion team will join the West to make 14 in each. Charlotte FC is officially the 28th team in the MLS, and it begins its inaugural season on February 26th in Washington, D.C. against the D.C. United, who happen to be four-time MLS Cup titles and actually winning three of the first four seasons in MLS. So let's give a little rundown on how... Charlotte came to be. So in September 2018, Tepper Sports Group, uh, with the guidance of Steed Argens, begins the bidding process or collecting, um, solidifying, or helping uh, create the, the best bid for expansion. And then the formal bid is presented in July uh, 15th of 2019. And then shortly after that, the uh, Charlotte was given the team on December 17th in 2019. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. So it, it, we lose some steam. But uh, so it's a while before an actual club team is named. And then on July 22nd of 2020, uh, the club announces that they will be officially called Charlotte FC. There was lots of speculation about different names, but definitely having Charlotte in the name was very important to the city council um, rather than a Carolina name um, because Charlotte would be um, the focus of this and that the city itself was was a big part of, of behind, being behind this bid. Um, so that happened in July 2022. I'm going to let you listen to how they, they introduced the, the team name and the team colors and, and the crest and everything behind it. Here in Charlotte, we know a thing or two about bringing different elements together to create something totally unique. So for our new Major League Soccer Club, that's just what we did. 
Introducing the new Charlotte FC Crest. It starts with the crown. We are, after all, the Queen City. A crown built from four diverse wards coming together as one. Set in a distinctive blue, the Charlotte FC Crest is Carolina through and through. While bold engraved topography and a classical coin shape speak to our history and ascendance as a major financial capital. Minted in 2022, commemorating the special year when we come together as one to cheer on our new club. So Charlotte, it's time to rally behind our new crest and leave our mark on Major League Soccer. We are Charlotte FC. Welcome to the club. All right, then with the, the new and the actual season uh, rapidly approaching, as in 2021, the, uh, the first match was actually announced that Charlotte FC, even though they did not have a, a team, was uh, fully all of their players, uh, that is, uh, was going to be playing the LA Galaxy for their first home match. And this was big, of course, because Charlotte wants to sell out that uh, and have a record um, audience for uh, that first match, which they're well on track to have over 75,000 fill up Bank of America Stadium on March 5th against the Galaxy. Uh, so that happened on November 18th. And then, of course, the, the season schedule comes out. But uh, the, the uniforms or the kits were announced on December 9th. And with Ally as a big across and Ally a big sponsor, even there at the beginning of the bid process and the announcement ally ceo was there and you know they were definitely kind of in a good uh partnership uh beginning this whole thing um december 15th the final the the exact season was uh was laid out and so charlotte fc would start their first game on the road in dc and then um just so you know they a lot of times you'll hear the word campaign that is just meant to to mean the season or the the schedule or schedule um, the secondary kit for, or secondary uniforms for Charlotte FC was announced on February 14th, which is kind of this newly minted black jersey. So they have the, the blue jerseys for their primary kit, the Carolina blue, and the black with the mint uh, kind of accents for their secondary kit. And of course, we got the season starting. So that's it. We'll come back next time and we'll talk more about the leadership, the roles, and the people that make up the Charlotte FC organization. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Want to catch Charlotte FC in their inaugural match debut against DC United? Starts at 6 p.m. However, you can watch and listen on local TV such as WSOC TV, Telemundo Charlotte, and CLTFC affiliate networks. You can also live stream at CLTFC Live at the CharlotteFootballClub.com or via the Charlotte FC app and ESPN+. Plus. You can also listen in on radio at WFNZ 610 AM, 102.5 FM. In between podcasts, be on the lookout for a quick Charlotte FC podcast crowning moments that talk about what happened on the pitch this past weekend. This has been a production of charlottefcpodcast.com. 
Thanks again for listening and follow us on Twitter at CLTFC Podcast and also on Instagram at CLTFC Podcast. Thanks again and please share this with a friend and give us a like, follow us in your podcast and just spread the news. We love hearing from you and appreciate and hope you come back. Thank you.